lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, filling out mock drafts leading up to the actual draft in April, filling out March Madness brackets that are going to be dumpster fires within the first weekend of the tournament here. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a wash party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo. Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, on the ones and twos, super producer Brandon Newman and my father, Mike Golick Sr. Dad, uh, did you survive Mother's Day yesterday? Did you mess anything up? I messed nothing up because uh, I didn't get her a massage chair, which over the decades has gone down as supposedly one of the worst gifts of all time on a Mother's Day, which I think you and I disagree on since you were out there with me buying it way, way back when, as far as comfort for our mother. Um, so no, I, I did what I should have done. Uh, I took her to the casino, which is where she wanted to go, do a little bit of gambling. And uh, so that, that's, that's what I did. I, I, I made the right move is what I did. Yeah, that's mom's happy place. And really, like, all of the women in uh, our lives' happy place when it comes to, like, the Mother's Day events, your mom, my grandma Kate, my grandma Jan, and my mom all pretty much, if you gave them and asked them what they wanted, it would just be money to go to the casino. And mom turned that into more money. So, successful day for everybody last night on the gambling front there. So, I'm glad you didn't mess that up for us. Happy Mother's Day uh, retroactively to everybody's moms. We hope you all had a great weekend. We got a great show for you guys today. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review, do the good stuff, and leave us a five-star rating. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel, as well as Samsung TV Plus and DraftKingsNetwork.com now, where you can see us live each and every day, 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, Rachel Nichols from Showtime Basketball going to stop by and chop it up with us today. You can check out her series headliners there. Great interviews. Obviously, one of our former colleagues at ESPN going to talk a little bit about the overall NBA landscape this postseason and uh, dad that landscape a little bit solidified now after some blowouts over the weekend where now we have just run back the bubble man no one had a bigger glow up over the weekend than the NBA bubble postseason from 2020 now re-upping the entire conference 
finals setup. We've got the Lakers taking on the Denver Nuggets after they blast the Warriors in game six of that series. And now we have got the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics running it back again. They've become the Eastern Conference Finals version of Golden State and Cleveland from years ago after they also went out and walked the dog, especially in the third quarter on the 76ers last night. Adam Silver's having himself a playoff series, isn't he? A, A playoff time? Think again, since they, the, the, the play-in games, the play-ins to the, to the playoffs have only been going on a couple of years. And now you had not one but two teams who played in the play-ins, make it into the playoffs, and they're still alive in the playoffs. And everybody ripped that, uh, that bubble year championship because it was a bubble year. And you have the exact same four teams now who basically justified their existence back then to now. So yeah, I think Adam Silver... And the league are having themselves a good time right now, save for unless you're the, the coach uh, or now not coach of the Phoenix Suns, and that's Monty Williams, which still, as we'll get into, is somewhat inexplicable to me. And, and now Doc Rivers, who's losing his 10th Game 7, four more than any other NBA coach has lost. Uh, and they get smoked. As you mentioned, they're only down three out of the 76ers at half, 55-52 they don't score for about, I think, a six-minute stretch in the third quarter. Zero points. They get outscored 33-10 to 10 in the third quarter, and that one is absolutely over. So now there'll be questions about uh, James Harden. What do you do with him? I have his numbers and just the awful, awful shooting that he had during this series. And does Doc Rivers survive this as well? Yeah, those are all going to be the big questions coming off today, and it underscores the hardest thing in the world coming off a game like this that we have, especially it feels like in the NBA, which is to give credit to the winning team. Jason Tatum went out and erased a weeks-old record for the most (laughs) points scored in a Game 7 in the postseason, topping Steph Curry from two series ago by scoring 51 points in this game. And this Celtics team that came into this series – favored to be the winner at the start, was the better team record-wise most of the season in the NBA regular season. And we know some of how this series was viewed at the start was affected by Joel Embiid limping quite literally into the series, uncertain for game one with the knee injury and the lingering effects I think we saw in this series. But Boston was expected to win this series and did. And Jason Tatum may have exercised a couple of narrative demons of his own going back to last year where he was a no-show when they got eliminated by the Heat in the last game that was more of a Jalen Brown type game for them and then certainly the couple games in the lead up to this one where game five was a no-show game six was one of the worst shooting games of his career until the fourth quarter and he made good on the words he said in that post-game interview in game six he said I'm one of the best basketball players on the world and so you just got to keep going through this and backed it up famously tonight so between that some of the defensive adjustments that Joe Missoula and company made with this Celtics lineup that is deep that is long that has plenty of athletes in the the right areas I do want to make sure we give them the appropriate credit as we start the teardown on the other side with Philadelphia that dad I think just comes with time and the pressure that the MVP award does put on your team because the minute Joel got that it didn't matter what people thought about the Boston Celtics or their prospects to win this series it became anything short of the 76ers getting past this because now we gave your big guy the trophy becomes an abject failure yeah listen we know you know (laughs) And everybody keeps bringing out the process for Philadelphia from years ago on trying to put this team together. A team that, remember, had, had Ben Simmons on it, you know, as one of their high picks that was an abject failure. There were more than a few that were abject failures, so which go above the coach 
which goes to players that were picked uh, in the draft or brought into this team that didn't work. Um, so, but yeah, that's what we do. We kind of put a bow on the season of the losing team because we know we're going to keep talking about the winning team. But, you know, with Boston, you mentioned it about Tatum. Game five, he started that game 0 for six. Game six, he missed 14 of his first 15 shots before he hit the four threes uh, in the fourth quarter to bring that team back. That's what shooters do, man. They just keep shooting. And, the, and then the clinching game, now this one was over in the third quarter. There were only three players in double digits, and that was Tatum and Brown. And then Brogdon off the bench played 29 minutes and had 12 points. There were no other double-digit scores. So this was completely led by your stars, led by some awful, awful shooting by the 76ers uh, as well. So, listen, you have windows of opportunity. You know, you have the MVP on Philadelphia. What's going to happen with Harden? It's hard to believe. Are they going to pick that up, extend him, and, and pay him a ton of money with the, the numbers of him shooting are just absolutely atrocious of what he's done. So, you know, and there was talk of him going back to Houston, but would Houston pay him that kind of money either? It's good. That's going to be an interesting thing to me is the where's Waldo is where does James Harden end up in all of this? Yeah, and it's one of those things, again, we talked about this with Boston relative to the conundrum they've got coming up this offseason when everybody thought they were going to lose this series when they were down 3-1, and would you re-sign Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to the monster dollars that both are due? And it still might be the simplest solution for the 76ers because a lot like we talk about the LeBron James, now really Anthony Davis Lakers, where you need AD to ball more than anything. Last night, it was, hey, Joel Embiid just did not look right. As the series went along, he looked less and less explosive. He looked less and less able to go out there and affect the game that we're, the way we're normally used to. And we got the one James Harden takeover game that maybe you can account for at this point. And most of that is unfortunately going to fall on the feet of Joel Embiid. Now, I do think this is a good time to remind everybody once again, the MVP is a regular season award. Right, and what exactly. happened last night does not, undermine Joel's candidacy to win the MVP this year it shows how dumb the way you guys talked about Jokic was for anyone that wanted to use his lack of postseason success or the fact that he had won two recent MVPs but had not had the the postseason success that people thought historically justified that you guys used bad context and now look dumb in the face of this recent result because that's not how this award works and not that's not what this award is so I don't want that to come up for him but Dad, you also mentioned the big elephant in the room, which is Doc Rivers. Ten losses in this. I think I saw 31 losses in potential closeout situations now for him overall. I believe he's going to get fired. But in the NBA, I feel like we know less about what coaches actually impact on the court than maybe any other sport out there. And so they ultimately become the timely scapegoat. But yep. you know this. Your record is your walking, living, breathing resume. And unfortunately, with Doc Rivers and this team, this is still a 76ers team that hasn't made it past the second round since Allen Iverson was in Sixers uniform. Right. And so at some point, while you've got the commodity that is Joel Embiid and his MVP prime, there's going to be that sense of urgency of we've got to mix up the bag to show people we did something that this is unacceptable. Uh, you mentioned we talked about game sevens. He's six and 10 in game sevens, and he's six and 16 in his last 22 chances in closeout games. So it is a horrible record. But as you mentioned, it goes beyond Doc Rivers hasn't been there since the beginning of the 2000s, you know, and the, but the last yeah. time they, they got further. So it's kind of like the Browns organization, you know, in Cleveland, where 
it's coach after coach after coach and failure after failure after failure. Yeah, you can keep changing the coach and saying that's a problem, but sometimes you got to look elsewhere or just let it ride and see if you can get some consistency. And that's, I think, where owners get caught is do I need to make a change? Monty Williams gets fired out in Phoenix. I mean, you know, for a team that depleted their entire depth to bring in Kevin Durant, and I don't blame them for bringing in Kevin Durant, but you had no depth after that. Why not give Monty an actual shot with Kevin Durant for the entire year when you build a little more around it? Monty's a phenomenal coach and is going to get snapped up, so I don't get that. So with Doc, we'll have to wait and see, but what, more importantly, I think, what are they going to put around him? You know, I mentioned James Harden. James Harden had the two big games, game one, 45 points, game four, 42 points. Take those two games out, the other five games, he was 16 of 63 from the field, including four of 26 from three-point land. I mean, that's just horrific numbers. So to me, you know, I actually think Doc will be back, and I don't think Harden will. That, that, that to me is going to be the really interesting thing of where Harden ends up in all this. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, with that in mind, I think that brings us to the other thing everyone's going to be talking about from last night. I do want to take a look at the Joel Embiid quote that's gone super viral that needs a little bit of help contextually about yeah. his future there, James Harden's future there, and the way that we grade this entire situation. It's a good reminder to always know what question was asked and get the entirety of the response. We'll do that before we look at the other uh, off-court situation that happened in the association over this weekend. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings, and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Um, you know, all of us, uh, we got to, you know, come back and uh, find ways uh, to just keep improving and, you know, help the team. Uh, you can't win alone. Um, I can't win alone. I can't. Me and James, we just can't win alone. You know, that's why basketball is played 5 on 5. So. so before we get to John Morant running the same play with uh, mixed results, to say the least, uh, Dad, you did reference the Joel Embiid uh, conversation around the game. Him and Harden, he got asked after the game about James Harden's future with the team. And the quote everybody pulled and ran with was him saying, James and I can't win the games by ourselves. It takes everybody, so we've all got to find ways to come back and be better. This is one of those situations where people always cry context when the media runs wild with a yep. quote, and this one actually kind of deserves it because right before that he did say, we all got to look at ourselves, I got to be better, and I will be better, and that's what I'm focused on before saying basically basketball is a team game. Do you have any problem with what he said? No, I didn't because it is one of those, and listen, we've did, done this for years where the quote is taken and a lot of times you need to hear the full kind of interview or more the interview around it. So, no, I completely agree with you. He wasn't up there saying we can't do it by ourselves. We need help. He's got other good players on that team. As you mentioned, he said, I need to be better and I will be better. So, no, I did not have a problem with it. you got to kind of piecemeal through his quote sometimes to see where he's going. And the other thing he said is basically, hey, now it's out of my hands. The team we're going to basically have next year, that's up to other people, not me. And, I'm, and he said, I'm not getting involved. 
Yeah, he actually backed himself away from the other yeah. situation of player GM that usually gets guys yeah. in trouble. So it, it's always perilous. But this one, actually crying context, I think deserved here. So come to Joel Embiid's offense a little bit post game there. Dad, John Morant's going to make that a little bit harder. So the Memphis Grizzlies have suspended John Morant from all team activities after a video popped up Saturday night of him allegedly holding a gun inside of a car on an Instagram Live with one of his friends, Devontae Pack, uh, on his account, the Grizzlies announced the suspension was his pending league review in a statement on Sunday. This was two months after he got suspended for that same incident inside a Denver nightclub and was ultimately suspended, I believe, eight or nine games. Dad, in looking at this situation, I mean, seeing suspended from team activities at a time where they're not doing anything yeah. is a yeah. little bit farcical from the Memphis Grizzlies, but I guess they felt like they had to do something. Yes. What do you think the outcome is here with him? Well, n nothing legal. Uh, I don't think anything legal because in, in Memphis, it's, you know, you're allowed to open carry. So there, there's not going to be an issue there. And, I, and you, you saw it like I saw it yesterday all over Twitter is, hey, Second Amendment, he's got the right to bear arms. What's he doing wrong? You know, and then the other side is, you know, how dumb can he be? He did this before. He got in trouble. So here's the thing. You can have your Second Amendment rights. I get it. I understand that. We hear that all the time. But then there are still rules you have to follow for your employer. And for the NBA, they have in their CBA, which was agreed to by the union, things about guns and where you can have guns and when you can have guns and how you can have guns. And the league has agreed to it. So while it may, you know, the, the Second Amendment people may say he can wave his gun all he wants because it's legal to do if your employer has something in there that says you can't do it in certain situations and your union has agreed to it, then you can't do it. You know, I, you scream as much as you want about it. He has a right to. No, he doesn't for this employer. And the way you would have found this out, everybody, you know, that's going through it on Twitter, is the first time this happened, you didn't see the union step in. If the union yep. felt he was being wronged, the union would have stepped in and appealed and fought this thing. But you heard nothing out of them, and as of now, you've heard nothing out of them. So it's been agreed to in the CBA, and, and what is it, Section 9, Article 6, which explicitly prohibits players possessing a firearm of any kind in numerous settings. Now, I don't know what those numerous settings are, but obviously he has violated it the last time because, again, the union didn't fight for him, and we'll see what happens this time. But just, I mean, overall, just some really stupid, Stupid decisions by John Morant going on right now. Yeah, like you said, and, and it's worth pointing out with something like that in there, we can trace most of that stuff back to Gilbert Arenas, right? Like most of the gun rules yeah, around yes. the NBA are kind of legislated after that. But this is really more about tied back to the hole with John Morant. This is a lifetime achievement award as much as anything it's going to be because this has always been about all of his off-court decision-making that we saw happen in that lead-up. The incident after the Pacers game, the incident with the 18-year-old playing basketball at his house, the incident at the mall, all these things tied together where John Morant, after last time, when he played the Lakers on April 28th, said, I just got to be better with my decision-making. That's pretty much it. Off-the-court issues affected us as an organization pretty much. I just need more discipline. Dad, you know this. In sports, you are penalized more than anything for making the same mistake twice. And for John yes. Morant here, this is like the last straw in a relationship where you've done all these things. And then you were asked what I thought was the bare minimum when it comes to 
your conduct off the court. Just don't wave it around willingly on social media. Plenty of professional athletes have guns. Plenty of guys that I know that I played with and I played around exercised their Second Amendment right and had whole chests full of guns, had plenty of things that they went back home and got to play with on their off days here. None of them felt the need to go wag it on social media. And then when you get in trouble for that one thing, and they specifically like, dude, just don't wave it around on there. Yeah. It's the lowest possible bar to clear. It's why I don't feel that bad. And usually I'm always going to argue on the side of the players. Usually I'm always going to try and find a way to nitpick what and why a league has certain rules. But this is such a painfully easy ask that I really can't do anything other than throw my hands up and say, why for a guy who's getting ready to watch $200 million of contract extension click in this offseason would you want to jeopardize any of what you were earning by missing time on the court now uh, listen 100 percent on all of that and and as you said you've had teammates i've had teammates own guns and you're allowed to own guns when i was reading the rule in the cba yeah. about guns you can have guns but just not in numerous settings as they say players have to notify their teams about firearms provide proof of registration. So there's a process to go through, but you're allowed to own a gun. Mike, I equate this to when you used to go to the NFL Combine back back years ago, they would test for marijuana. And everybody in the world knew that they, you got tested for marijuana when you went to the Combine. You, everybody knew it. And players still, still tested positive for marijuana. So, I mean, you just, it blows your mind. And that's the same thing here with Ja. You know, especially after, you know, he does this sit-down interview. He's got to go, you know, meet with this person and that person. He said, I'm learning. I got to realize this and that. And then you make the exact same mistake again. I, and Adam Silver, because he's a repeat offender, he can come down awfully, awfully hard on Ja Morant. So that's what everybody's waiting to see. And quite honestly... He brought it on himself. He has no one to look at but the person in the mirror for his problems right now. And you just said it. I think for Memphis, the concerning part for them is this continued pattern of decision-making from a guy that they want to be desperately the face of their franchise on and off the court. It's the most wonderful time of the year. March Madness, getting ready to go in college basketball. And we got some of the best stars in the sport finally trying to close the deal. Zach Eady at Purdue trying to see if he can cap off an historic career with a championship. Much like his counterpart on the women's side and Caitlin Clark, who's been one of the biggest names in sports this entire year. And is looking to see if she can snag that elusive championship that's eluded her during her career. Regardless of who makes it to that final game of the tourney, though, one thing's for certain. It's going to take the most talented people like the two I just mentioned working together to help these teams play at a high level. If you're hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. How do you find them? ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter uses matching technology to score excellent candidates for your job. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And once you review your list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply, so they're more likely to apply sooner. Pick ZipRecruiter to help you build a winning team. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
so we will wait and continue to see what's going to happen to Grizzlies star John Morant. And again, that organization went out of their way last time to position it not as a suspension, as Ja getting help, trying to deal with this sincerely. The NBA was pretty lenient, gave mate games, most of which were already served. And then he went out and did the same thing that they asked him not to do there. So this punishment could be substantial based on publicly embarrassing your employer for a second time alone. Someone, however, that we know won't embarrass us on Instagram Live for 111 <laughs> followers is Rachel Nichols. She is Showtime basketball host and analyst. She hosts Headliners with Rachel Nichols, does some great interviews over there. Stopped by with us and got a chance to chop it up and look out at the entire NBA postseason landscape and more. Here's a little bit of our conversation. All right. Can already tell this one's going to be a lot of fun. Very excited to welcome in one of our dear friends. You can catch her over on Showtime Basketball hosting Headliners with Rachel Nichols. Gives it away. Rachel Nichols joining us here on the pod today. How are you? Gentlemen, I, I'm going to just admit to everyone out there that it, it has been a rough morning for me because I woke up in Las Vegas, which, you know, could go either way. But the fact that I woke up and was like at the airport at 4.30 in the morning was a huge tactical error on my part. I should have just stayed up the whole night. And I'm not a rookie. I know this stuff, guys. And yet, boom, I did it wrong. Oh, that, that was what I was going to say, Rachel. Listen, we, we were all teammates for a long time together. And I would, have, I would have expected more out of you for as long as you've been I in this know. business to not just stay up all night, try and get yourself on a heater in Vegas. Before you have to go, yeah. I mean, you know, then I would have been, I would have just been powering through the whole day and said, you know, when you get like a few (laughs) hours sleep and then it's just, it turns into a disaster. And I'm going to be at the game tonight, uh, Warriors-Lakers. I'm so excited about it. So sometime between now and then there will be obscene amounts of caffeine. The lifeblood of the industry, hunting naps and looking for the most caffeine that you can direct inject at one time humanly possible. So that is, uh, that's the difference. And like you said, Rachel, it's that time of year, especially for you. Dad and I major much more in football, but the NBA is your lifeblood. We're in the thick of the NBA playoff hunt right now. And so I'd say just big picture, this playoffs has felt really unique because of the way the regular season's gone now, the way that we've had couple of play-in teams working way through this postseason so big picture what stood out to you most so far through the 2023 NBA postseason well I just love that we don't know what's going to happen I mean we've been through so many years over the last decade where the NBA felt like sort of a foregone conclusion we had the Warriors dynasty years we've had the LeBron domination years and and that's good for the game in general Uh, dynasties actually really bring in a lot of fans but I will say that if you're sitting there plodding through the playoffs and you're all saying, I know how this is going to end, it takes some of the juice out of it. The reason we love sports is we don't know what's going to happen. I took my kids to see uh, Guardians of the Galaxy last weekend, and I was excited for the movie, and it was awesome, and I was like ready to go. But I, you know what? When I sat down on my seat, I knew who was going to win at the end, the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? When I watched this Warriors-Lakers game tonight, I do not know what the outcome is going to be. And that excitement, that thrill has really defined these NBA playoffs where literally anything can happen. So how much of it is it a feather in Adam Silver and the NBA's cap that a short time into this play-in series, we now got not one but two teams that were in the play-in games that made it actually to the playoffs, let alone moving forward in the playoffs? I think it's really interesting and it sort of speaks to what teams are going to do going forward because they will look at those teams and say, oh, it's worth it. It's worth it to try to sort of be in that, 
you know, seven through 10 bracket where you are in that playoff window, play in window, I will say, and, and, and the players on these teams have pointed out in previous years, they just would have been the seventh or eighth seeds. So it's not as if we have a team that's still in the second round that was in the nine or 10 spot that was totally out of it. That being said, the fact that the Miami Heat went two games into the play in and barely, barely made it into the postseason and now are just running roughshod over everyone is just fascinating to me and a great example of why the play-in is so fun. And I think it's really made the final third of the season, that whole like final kick of the regular season so fun. I think it can only be viewed as a successful experiment. Well, and you mentioned that final third of the season and really that world post-NBA trade deadline that's become a really big marker in the way the current league's set up, Rachel. I felt like this postseason has sort of been a culture war between teams that have had their same core together for a while who represent, hey, we've gone wire to wire and been good all regular season long. And then you've had a couple of teams like Miami that turned it on late, like we just saw the Phoenix Suns that made their exit that retooled completely at the trade deadline. Do you think that's good for the NBA that you've got that mix of both and that we've seen some teams that have really said, hey, whatever happens at the beginning of the season, great, we're focused on that last third of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's super interesting to look at the Suns-Nuggets series, right? Because the Nuggets are the team that is that model of consistency. They've got players who've been together since the beginning of training camp, players who've been together for years. When you look at the two-man game between Jokic and Jamal Murray, that only happens with time, right? When Jokic throws them open, the way Aaron Rodgers throws receivers open. And that only happens when you really know someone and have that kind of chemistry. And on the other side of the ledger, you have the Phoenix Suns, and you would think, okay, well, they just got together. They just met each other a couple months ago. But then it's like, okay, but they do have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. So it's one of those questions of when is the cohesiveness team thing that we all know absolutely is real and exists in sports superseded by the superstar thing, which we also know is absolutely real in sports. And I think we're seeing little bits of it here and there throughout this postseason with the NBA. So uh, we want to get to, to Phoenix and Milwaukee, two teams that are out and certainly had higher expectations. But I want to stick to Denver for a minute, mm-hmm. a, a team where I, I've, I've said this before, the superstars in the NBA, part of their legacy is titles won. It's attached to quarterbacks in the NFL, yeah. which is kind of ridiculous since it's offense, defense, special teams. But superstars in the NBA have so much more effect. Is it, are we to the point of saying, you look at Denver the last five years in the conference seated, first, third, sixth, third, second, they have not closed the deal. So at what point do we say this is underachieving, your window is going to close, or how much does it affect Nikolai Jokic's legacy by being an MVP but not winning a title? Yeah, I mean, you've nailed it that the pressure is on him. There's no question about that. And there are people saying, okay, look, they were asking this of Giannis, remember, when he had won a couple MVPs but hadn't won the title yet? It was sort of like, okay, guy, what are you going to show us in the postseason? People ask that about James Harden, right? They want that next step from him in the postseason. And I think Jokic is right there. I do think that Nikola Jokic is such a supremely good player. If he doesn't win this year, no one's going to sit there and be like, ah, that guy's a fraud. I mean, this is the best passing big man maybe in the history of the game, certainly in the NBA right now, and, and what he has been able to accomplish on the court. I mean, you watch him, and, and there's just these moments where, where your jaw drops open, and it's what you love about basketball. That being said, if he could also win, I think that would help him out a lot this season. Um, and, and we're just going to have to see. I think it's, it's not an easy road for them ahead, no matter who comes out of this Lakers-Warriors series. And then, of course, if they advance to the finals. 
Do you think it's fair that that seems to have seeped into the conversation around his MVP contention? Because I feel like for so much of the season when he was in the lead, there were a lot of people in the media, NBA fan base that really didn't want to see him win a third straight time knowing they hadn't accomplished in the postseason. Well, this is what's so tough. And and we've talked about this over the years. I am a big believer that the NBA needs to retool these postseason awards, especially the MVP. And I look directly to the NFL as the a group that has done it right. You know, they made changes to their postseason awards and they had best offensive player, best defensive player and MVP. And what that signifies is the MVP is the guy who's the best, best player in the league, right? That's who you guys pick as MVP. And then the best offensive player, defensive player have had the best statistical seasons of that year. The NHL does that. They have an MVP, but they also have a goal scoring award. You know, there are different ways for leagues to break down who is having great stats that year or who's having the best season versus who's the best player. And I think that's what sometimes seeps into this discussion when we get to a guy like Nikola Jokic or Giannis a few years ago who hadn't won when they hadn't won yet of saying, well, how can we say you're the best player? How can we say you're the MVP when you, when you can't get it done in the postseason? But the problem is the award isn't for best player right now. The award is who statistically had the best regular season. So I think that, that we keep coming back to sort of the core problem of that we're trying to have the MVP in the NBA do too much. Some people vote on it one way. Some people vote on it the other way. Guys, players, you heard Giannis come out this year and say, I don't even know what I'm being judged on. And that's fair, I think. So I think when it gets to the Jokic discussion or Giannis a few years ago of, well, what have you done? I think that is part of this commingling of how am I supposed to say this guy's the best player in the league when he doesn't get it done in the postseason, but that's not actually what you're supposed to be voting for. Very confusing. Yeah, it is very confusing. And at the end of the day, if Jokic never wins a title and he falls into the Barkley, Moses, Malone, or, or um, uh, Carl Malone category, not the worst yeah. thing in the world. I mean, still, still no, going to be course. considered one, one of the greats. So uh, two of the big teams that are out, Milwaukee and Arizona, or, or Phoenix, who I guess is trying to be in a model of consistency. Last year when they lost to Dallas in game, <laughs> game seven, I think it was, they were down 30 at halftime, you know, just like this against the Nuggets, which is just stunning. So what do you see here? CP3, is he done there in just a full year of Kevin Durant? Where do you see this team next year? Look, I'm very bullish on the Phoenix Suns. I, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what they do this offseason. And if they botch it, if they screw it up, then obviously we'll have a different discussion come September, October. But the possibility in front of them is very high. DeAndre Ayton obviously has had an awkward year with them. There was all of the issues going into the season with his contract. I think there's a high expectation they at least shop him around, see what they can get for him. He was never their best player on the floor anytime during these playoffs. So if you do decide to make a swap there, it's not like you're losing the center or the heartbeat of your team. So I think that if they make a good deal for him, they could really get Kevin and Devin the the, uh, the help that they need, both in terms of depth and uh, defensively. And also, I think they're going to be a huge attraction for free agents. I mean... NBA players really like Scottsdale, Arizona. I don't know if you guys have picked up on that, but it's very popular. Uh, you know, you can play golf year-round. Uh, I think that it's uh, seen as an energetic and fun organization right now with the new ownership there. I think he's interesting, Madison, and doing, uh, you know, sort of more big-picture things with the team. The recent decision he made about basically releasing their local home games uh, to be on free television, I think is 
absolutely brilliant and is only going to get that fan base more energized and stronger there in Arizona. So I also am happy to be the one dying on the Kevin Durant is still underrated somehow, Hill. I just think that when you add him to a team, the multiplier effect that he has on the other players is staggering. And we heard Devin Booker say it after one of these games when someone was asking him about this like crazy point binge he had been on. He's like, I've never had such open, easy shots in my life. Kevin Durant's on the other side of the floor. So I think not only what KD can do himself, but the effect he has on the guys around him is so huge. His game is going to age well as he ages. He's around 34 years old. I think that if they can make the right moves this summer, and they certainly have the opportunity to, I think that could be a very dangerous team next year. You know, one of the big things we talk about as playoffs keep going and we get closer to a champion is legacy of great players winning championships. Do we even need to put Steph and LeBron in that conversation anymore? But does is their legacy at all affected anymore by any more titles? I to me, it's not really by where they are now. Now, if one of them was going to rack up three more over the course of the next chunk of time, yes, absolutely. Then those would start to matter again. Right now, if it's four or five, does it matter? I mean. It, it, I'm not sure that that's going to make me view either of those guys any differently. To me, they are just such singular presences. And I've had this conversation. Well, let me ask you guys. Is Steph Curry a top 10 of all time NBA player to the two of you? Yes. I I think so. Absolutely. And I don't know. I don't know if, like you said, this championship being stacked on mattered as much as last year, them getting back over the hump and once again, reinserting Golden State into the combo. To me, he's a top 10 player and, and, you know, been going back and forth with some of the guys I work with over at Showtime on this. And, you know, obviously I always, you know, if if you're going to put him in, who are you taking out and that kind of discussion. And obviously everybody in that stratosphere is so elite and so great, but he literally changed the game of basketball. I, I just think that in the end, when you talk about legacy for Steph Curry, whether it's one more ring or two more rings or no more rings, I think the fact that he was able to win the number of titles that he did, be an MVP, be the first ever unanimous MVP, be a finals MVP, which was never that important to me or him, by the way, but it seemed to be very important to a lot of people out there. Um, you know, he is going to go down as a legend for what he did with the game. He literally just reshaped the, the, the entire course of the NBA and the direction that we've gone in. I think that's a huge part of when we talk about Magic and Larry and how they revived the NBA we're talking about those kinds of big directional things and that cement step into that group for me. I, I completely agree. And I think you're right. Those guys are secure off to the side. So looking at the rest of the NBA playoff field, then which player has improved their stock the most who has had that postseason that to you has elevated their place in the conversation? Yeah. I mean, look, it's a little early to say that so far. I think that, you know, we, we know that Jimmy Butler is, you know, exceptional in the situations that he's been put in so far. Is he going to get to an NBA finals and be exceptional there and be able to do what he couldn't do in the bubble because of injuries and exhaustion and all the other stuff that would change. I think the narrative around him, Nikola Jokic, certainly if he wins a ring, I think people are going to say, okay, that cements him in a different way in the way we were discussing before. Um, I'm curious what happens with Boston if they are able to get through the series, first of all, and if so, um, get back to a point and finish the business that they started last season. So I think there's a lot of things at play here. I'm not sure that there's one of those like do or die, oh my God, they better win this year. Otherwise, we're going to be talking about them completely differently the way we did say when LeBron was trying to win his first title, right? You know, on a different note with Boston players and overall, we just saw that Tatum now can sign a max for over $300 million, Brown for just under $300 million. It's crazy. 
And a lot of it, Rachel, tied to all NBA teams that they make. So how, how does it feel to be a voter for an all-NBA? And you can have an effect on somebody's, not that they're going to be hurting if they don't make 295 and 200, but you have an influence on their financial situation. Yeah, you just kind of try not to think about that. It's not something I go back and check before I vote ever. I, I hope to be as unaware as possible. Sometimes you can't help it because people make such a big deal out of it going in. Um, you know, you vote for the people you think should should be on those M- all NBA slots. And I, I've never really had a question of like, oh, man, it's right on the fence. Should I take his bonus into account? Um, I just think there's so many things that come into play with those slots. What's going to be interesting next year is they now have these minimums for all NBA. So when you talk about the contract playing into it, well, okay, if it's in my contract, I get a bump for all NBA, but I'm hurt and you as the team hold me out of some games because you don't want me to possibly get more hurt and then affect later in the season. Well, did you just cost me my bonus? Because the new CBA says that you've got to play at least 65 games. So that is going to get a little bit sticky, even more so than the voters and who we're voting on and things like that, I think. I think that's going to be really the big issue with those awards as we go toward next year. I'll quickly say I would be sending you a gift every day if I was looking for votes. If I was <laughs> so, so Brian Windhorst did this thing. There was one year where um, I think it was a Giannis. Somebody, somebody had a huge balloon sort of thing, and he said that uh, Brian worked it out that, that the player could have bought every single member, voting member on the panel like a Hummer. And they would still only like dent into the bonus they would have gotten if they had then made the all NBA. So, uh, yes, absolutely. There's that opportunity. But I will say there is no money, favors, cars, anything has been exchanged um, that uh, that I think that do a good job of picking the voters and uh, the panels. It was you know, a pretty serious journalist who want to make sure that they get it right. Hey, hey, and Rachel Nichols, unbiased, serious journalist, not going to get to her, not going to get her to crack. <laughs> uh, speaking of, of of those awards, I want to talk about someone that you had a conversation with on Headliners. You got to sit down with Joel Embiid before he was the MVP and talk yeah. to him about that award and his season. Now, now that he's won it and what you took from that conversation – why was this so important to him? We've seen him over the years campaigning for this award, speaking up about it. What did you take away from that conversation? Yeah, you know, I was able to talk to him right at the end of the season. So it was right as the voting was going on. It was a really interesting time to be talking to him about the MVP. And and he was very open about how much he wanted it. In fact, he said in our interview, he goes, anyone who says that they're not interested or they don't care, he said, that's bull. He said, there's no question. I mean, you know, Joel, he's going to call it like he sees it. Um, and, uh, and, and he said, absolutely, it matters to me. He said, it validates all of this work I've done. The bulk of the interview that I had with him was talking about all of the different ways he almost wasn't here. It's the sliding door. He is the sliding doors sort of story of the NBA. And there's all sorts of things where could have gone slightly differently and we would not have seen Joel Embiid on the court. Starting with the fact that, by the way, he did not pick up a basketball and start playing until he was 15 years old. So that's crazy in and of itself. And then where he was, quote, discovered was at a camp in Cameroon that fed into Basketball Without Borders. And he didn't show up the first day. This was his big break. And he decided, he's like, oh, I'm never going to be able to compete with those guys. I'd rather play video games. He stayed home with his brother and didn't go and didn't intend to go. And if he had not gone the second day, because he has very strong-willed parents who basically, I think, grabbed him by the ear and said, you know, you will be getting your butt over there. Um, You know, I I think that we could, you know, the fact that just from the very beginning, we never would have seen Joel Embiid. And then there is a bunch of twists and turns throughout his story 
that are just like that. And the one that's the most notable and, and the most emotional, of course, is that his brother, Arthur, was killed when he was a rookie, uh, when, when Joel was a rookie in the NBA. Um, he's got a phone call that his younger brother had been killed and hit by a truck on his way walking home from school. Absolutely tragic. Joel said in her interview that it was the middle of the night and the phone kept ringing and ringing and ringing and he finally picked it up. And that to this day after that experience, if someone's calling him more than once trying to reach him, he absolutely will not pick up the phone because he is 100% convinced that it is wow. bad news. And he went back to Cameroon after his younger brother died, and he did not plan to come back to the NBA. Remember, he was injured in his rookie year. Yeah. He was drafted third overall, and he told his parents, I'm staying home. I should never have left. He felt very guilty. He felt that Arthur wouldn't have died in some way if he had been there. Of course, that's not true, but you understand that kind of survivor's guilt. And he did not intend to get back on that plane. And the fact that he ended up coming back and ended up having this career is, again, another sort of twist and turn that I think you saw that emotion when he won the award of every minute of every step of this journey and everything that he has been through. And for me, it was a real joy just having covered him since he was a rookie to be able to see him accomplish this. Who doesn't root for him? He's so fun, right? He really is been one of the like fun forces in the NBA for so long. I know you guys talked about his social media presence. I was dying. The story about him Googling white guys shooting threes on YouTube to try and go through that. So it's one of the many great interviews you've done over at Headliners and at Showtime. It's been awesome to watch. Everyone should check that out. What's burning with you and Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes, which is Always a great crew. And I have to give you credit, Rachel. You and I talked about this the last time I saw you as you've gone off, even as a veteran in this industry, doing this new venture. I've seen you on TikTok, too, starting to blow up a little bit now. So getting after it. <laughs> so, okay, wait. We have to tell your dad. So yeah. <laughs> we're sitting there. It's like after midnight. There's many drinks. There's food. There's all sorts of things. And I just look at your son and Mina, uh, who was also there, Mina Kimes, and said, will you guys teach me TikTok? And Stephanie Stoden, our friend, and and it was one of these things where since I transitioned to Showtime, they have a really strong and active TikTok presence. And I feel like every social media tool we have works so differently. Like Twitter works so differently from Instagram, right? I mean, you're putting different things on there. You're communicating differently. The fact that you retweet or don't or things like that. And TikTok, of course, just like everything else, has its own little language. And I was a little reluctant to jump in because I kept saying to you that night, I was like, I'm over 40. People are going to know. <laughs> like, right? Like, people know. It's not a secret. Um, and yet, it's actually been really fun. And it's been a fun way to tell stories a little bit differently. And I, I kind of like it. Is it okay for me to say that as somebody who's over 40? I, I'm Listen, so impressed. I think we're all in the clear there. Dad, Dad, how do you feel about that, hearing that, I, Dad? is a man am, now over 60. I am so impressed that you're doing that. And at 60... All I could think about is if I tried to do TikTok, I would become a meme in a bad way. Yeah. Somehow, some way. Because even my even on my Twitter, every now and then I tweet, and I'm normally a reach a quote retweet guy. Right. When I do it, either Mike or my daughter Sydney, who used to do uh, social media for the Bears, yes. they'll text me right away and say, Dad, take that down. What you said is dumb or this is wrong. <laughs> I'm like, so I, I'm, I'm jittery about it. So I couldn't even fathom trying to do TikTok on how much I would get mocked. So I applaud you for doing that. Well done. Thank you very much. We, we, we don't, haven't done any dances, but maybe, uh, Gojo, if we can, we can work that out sometime in the future. Oh. 
Rachel, I just got back. I was back on Notre Dame's campus for an event, and I had college kids teaching me how to do the TikTok dances. So when we're done, I'm going to send you one of the TikTok dances oh. I did. All right. And if you like it, we're, we can work this out, and we can meet up <laughs> and do this TikTok collaboration together, all right? In, in. Oh, my God. God. That's something to look forward to. Yeah. Rachel, we cannot you thank go. you enough for battling through Vegas and coming and hanging out with us. Thanks so much, and we're excited to check out more of what you got coming soon. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. That means as we lurch towards March Madness, you can try and figure out who's going to win this whole thing. On the men's side, teams like UConn, Houston, and Purdue. On the women's side, South Carolina, Stanford, the Lady Irish and Notre Dame, or maybe Caitlin Clark's Iowa Hawkeyes finally get over the hump. Make the decision for yourself and head over and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code GOJO when you do. New customers can bet 5 bucks and get $150 instantly in bonus bets. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code GOJO, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Coming up next, uh, Canada. We're sorry. All right, our thanks to Rachel for stopping by. Uh, now, time to end the show the way we always do. This, that, and the third. Three quick stories to finish off the day. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating and tell us how much uh, you miss uh, Mother's Day or how much you enjoyed your mother this Mother's Day weekend. I think that's the prompt we're going with right now. Send us nice notes about your mom. Uh, Dad, in the meantime, as we get started with this, we are going to, because of time constraints, Fold two of our Monday staples into one. Uh, let's start off with this. Our Gojo Roses of the Week to deserving performers from over the weekend. Brandon Newman sitting out today. He is under the weather, so we are letting him heal with the powerful smell of these roses. Uh, so, Dad, your top performer of the weekend. Who are you handing out your rose to? I'm handing out my rose to Julius Randle's wife, Kendra. Kendra Randle. So, after they won, they won game five in Miami. Julius Randle, there's a picture of him kissing his wife courtside, to which I, I, I still don't know why Kenyon Martin, who was doing a show you know, after this, ripped him, absolutely ripped him, saying, we just got done playing a hard-fought game in a playoff series, and the first thing Randle does is go kiss his wife? That's the first thing you do? Where's your mind at? The very first thing he did when the game was over. He said, I was sitting there watching with my wife and basically said, I'm going to be with my guys. We just got done winning. I'm not even thinking about you. This dude is ripping Julius Randle for kissing his wife after a win. Kendra Randle tweeted, must be a slow news day. Both of us grew up in single parent homes. We never saw our dads respect our mothers. I'm grateful that my kids get to grow up watching their dad be the best father and husband. She didn't even have the need to, to have the need to write that. She didn't have to justify that at all because that was such a stupid, stupid comment 
by Kenyon Martin about a guy who kisses his wife and their, their, their son, like six years old, is always around as well. What a great moment. What a great moment. And Kenyon Martin is saying, what are you thinking about? Oh, I don't know. He loves his wife, his family. I bet he still celebrated with his teammates as well, Kenyon. Maybe they didn't come first, but they're going to be involved. Just ridiculous. I wanted to rip Kenyon more, uh, but I wanted to give the rose to Kendra for, for tweeting out there and kind of explaining what, what the deal was. The pro sports scourge of kissing wives and loving families. Idiotic. How, how do we get this out of the game? Coming up tomorrow <laughs> on Kojo. Um, my Rose of the Week uh, is a, a little less flame-broiled, uh, but nonetheless important, as I've told people, I'm going to spam you with lacrosse content. My Rose goes to Army Lacrosse for upsetting fourth seed Maryland in the first round of the NCAA men's side of the tournament. They get the 16-15 win on a day full of barn burners in the sport. Delaware almost taking down top-ranked Duke in that game. Georgetown and Yale was an absolute just goal fiesta. And overall, it nets us with a second round that now is going to have Army play Penn State, Duke play Michigan, Notre Dame uh, play Johns Hopkins, and Michigan play Virginia. And shout out to Notre Dame, the only lacrosse program in the country to have both its men's and women's team advance to the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament. The Lady Irish pull the upset over Florida this weekend. So nice, big lacks coming nice. up here, Dad. As we know, all eyes for me are on Philadelphia. I just need Notre yep. Dame to get to that championship game so I can go rain holy hell there and exercise the demons of Notre Dame lacrosse postseason past. I'd really like to see Michigan knock off Virginia. Virginia's been our Notre Dame's Achilles heel this year. <laughs> yeah, that would be, uh, that would be, that would be, oh, actually, uh, Michigan's playing Duke, which also, oh, Dad, sorry. this will be the first yeah. time I, first time I utter the words, go blue. Because while blue. I just like Michigan on the football field after years of playing them, Duke has been the bane of my existence as a Notre Dame lacrosse fan. So, uh, Blue Devils. Help brother out. Let's go. Um, there you go. All right, Dad, let's get to that. Uh, our apologies to Canada as we scream USA, USA as the NHL postseason rolls along. It happened. The Edmonton Oilers got bounced by the Vegas Golden Knights, and now a U.S.-based team will win the Stanley Cup yet again. No Canadian team has been crowned champion in the NHL since 1993, Dad. Our dominance as a country reigns supreme in the sport that they love so dearly. It's got to be killing the Canadians, right? I mean, just killing the Canadians. I mean, there, there were two Canadian teams. There were Edmonton, which Las Vegas took care of, and you just mentioned Toronto, uh, that Florida, Florida beat. So those were the two uh, Canadian teams that were left. So now it's Las Vegas, against either the Kraken or Dallas. They play game seven uh, tonight, I believe. And then it's Florida against Carolina. So all USA teams in this one, including the possibility of two recent uh, expansion teams with Las Vegas and Seattle. They could be meeting in the Western Conference Final, which would be absolutely incredible. But congrats to the U.S. team. Sorry, Canada. You got to wait another year. Actually, you've been waiting decades. So let's see how long we can continue to make you wait. Yeah, exactly. And, and listen, I'm kind of like have a soft spot for Canada. We got a, I got a couple of friends that are Leafs fans who are just the most tortured fan base in the world. I, I love trying to see, you know, Connor McDavid is the best player in the world, make yeah. it further and further into the playoffs. I'm a big fan of that. But uh, Jonathan Marshall had other plans for them, the hat trick in game six to seal the deal for Vegas and send them back there packing. So uh, tough look. Hate to see it. Canada, better luck next time. I'm sure you'll talk about you know what happens in World Juniors or one of the World Championships, but not in this one. Not now. This is our time. They had their time. Um, 
Dan, let's get to the third in uh, a bit of ridiculousness uh, from the world of social media. Social Darwinism is going to come for a lot of people who are doing dumber and dumber things in the name of content online. And boy, oh boy, this feels like the case for former Olympian Trevor Jacob, who now is facing felony charges for obstructing a federal investigation after deliberately destroying the wreckage of an airplane that he intentionally crashed in November of 2021, apparently to gain views for a sponsorship deal on YouTube. He went uh, as a pilot and a skydiver, took off from an airport in Lompoc City on November 24th of 2021. The former competitive snowboarder then ejected from the aircraft about 35 minutes after takeoff. And in the video that had plenty of other cameras strapped onto the plane that was eventually going to be launched into the mountainside, he eventually denied any uh, denied any uh, knowledge of the crash and then secretly went to the crash site to collect the plane's evidence and destroy it on his own. He now faces potentially up to 20 years in prison. Dad, doing it for the vine has gone horribly wrong and it feels like intentionally crashing a plane should be one of those red alarm moments that lets us know we're probably going a bit too far. You know, there there is part of me that would go, I d- cannot believe this is happening. But in today's day and age where everybody is trying to make a buck off not working, right? Just doing some stunt or dancing on TikTok or whatever. And hey, listen, if somebody's willing to pay you to do things, I'm not ripping you for it, okay? I remember talking about the Kardashians a long time ago saying, oh my God, what's going on with this family? But people throw money at them. So, you know, who are the fools? You know, the ones sitting there taking all that money and we were finding out in today's world do something on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter or whatever and get paid for it. So this, I, I, Mike, I'm not stunned. I'm not stunned that somebody would go to this length, thank God, obviously was smart enough to crash the planes into the mountain and, and nowhere else where there would actually be people around, that somebody would try a stunt like this knowing pretty much full well he's going to be okay, you know, because he's skydiving out of that thing and he's a skydiver, that he would do this for clicks and for sponsorships and for money. There's no way that anything like this stuns me anymore. I'm numb to it. I'm just stunned that someone worked this hard to do it because this requires a ton of effort. And what if we learned, if nothing else from the NBA NFL schedule release videos, when the Titans released one very well done, very well funded video and one man on the street video that did six times the views, there's no reward for working harder on social media. You can get just as many yeah. or more clicks by selling your bathwater or farts than you would crashing a plane and risking your life into the side of a mountain where, yeah, he didn't hurt himself or anybody else, but now he may enjoy 20 years of having very less than a good time inside jail so unless he can live stream the prison experience and make money off that this may not end up being worth it in all the ways that he thought it was going to be if you thought this podcast was worth it make sure you download subscribe rate review leave us a five-star rating check us out on the DraftKings youtube channel and make sure you keep watching live on samsung tv plus and DraftKingsNetwork.com. thanks so much we'll talk to you tomorrow Boom. Money in the bank. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. 
all backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.